broadcasting from Moscow, Idaho. This is Campus Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 92, Campus Preacher, Jed Smock with Tom Short. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. And this is part two of my interview with Tom Short regarding the life of Jed Smock and largely his influence upon Tom and then kind of indirectly upon me, in so much as Tom kind of discipled and mentored me, I was able to spend a little bit of time uh, with Jed. One thing I did not get to do in this interview was uh, reference one of the best exhortations I've ever received, and that was with uh, Jed. We talked a little bit about the time that Tom and I went to go visit Jed at his church in Newark, Ohio. And in that uh, talk, he was Jed's a holiness preacher, so most exhortations included, or some sort of interaction included, some exhortation to obedience and holiness, which is a good thing. Um, and, but within that, he gave one of the best exhortations, because he said, if you're going to be a, a campus preacher, you're going to be asked about your moral life, and um, the students are going to know if you're lying about your moral life, so you have to be holy. And he's like, there's three reasons to be holy. One reason to be holy is fear of hypocrisy. You don't want to be out there and be a hypocrite, fear of being exposed, Um and so hypocrisy will keep you for a season, will stop you from committing certain sins here or there. But eventually, he said, sin's so deceptive that uh, you don't think you'll get caught, you'll end up engaging in a sin. And so hypocrisy won't ultimately keep you. The other thing that he gave was that um, fear of the Lord. And he, <laughs> I can't help but any time I go to uh, reference anything he says is try to say it the way he does it. Uh, fear of the Lord. And uh, he had all these verses memorized about fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate sin. The fear of the Lord is um, the beginning of wisdom and all this sort of stuff. And at the end of that, though, he finished up his little exhortation on fear. And he goes, but eventually you'll convince yourself God is all loving, all forgiving. And so fear will ultimately keep you. Uh, but he, the main reason to be holy is that you love God. Uh, love does no wrong. And so he kind of uh, gave this great exhortation between fear of hypocrisy, fear of the Lord, uh, but love the Lord. If you love the Lord, you'll do no wrong. And the, the key to obedience is learning to love God. So it's probably uh, something that's uh, indelible, indelibly etched upon my soul. And so I'm eternally thankful uh, to to Jed and the Lord for that uh, little exhortation. One of the things that was funny is I saw him probably uh, 12 years after that at the uh, University of Oklahoma. I said, hey, Jed, you gave me one of the best exhortations ever. He goes, oh, I don't remember ever saying that. Must have been something from the Holy Ghost. Must have been something from the Holy Ghost. So anyway, I have a great appreciation for the guy, and here is part two with Tom Short. Yes, yes. If, if you don't mind... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, ahead. I was thinking of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of some stories on campus, you, you know, if there are other details you want to uh, share about those things. But I remember, I, I, I don't remember what university it was, um, maybe just north of uh, Columbus that you joined Jed one time. I think it was, may have been the 80s, maybe the early 90s. And uh, maybe there's nobody at the park. And uh, Jed looks over at you. He goes, I'll get them. And uh, you're like, yeah, he was as cool as a cucumber. And then he just goes on the campus. And like a few minutes later, he's like, it was like the Pied Piper, him coming back with a with, with a with a crew in tow. So this was at Oberlin University. Oberlin is a small private college. It's one of the most liberal colleges in America. Uh, it's a college that uh, there's been very few colleges I've been on that I wonder is there even a single believer on that campus and i've wondered that at Oberlin. I've, hardly ever a campus I, that i haven't met another believer and i ha, and i'd go to Oberlin not meet one mm. so Oberlin being private we're not allowed to preach on the campus but uh there's a park right across from the the main part of the campus a public park where we 
could preach. And so, but you know, there's nobody out there. I mean, they're they're not walking around. So Jed, Jed said, um, we're there in the park. It's pretty barren, and he says, I'll go get them. And he he goes over into the center of the campus across just a little two lane road, and um, he goes over in the center of the campus. And boy, does he unload for about four <laughs> or five minutes. He just he just hits every hot button issue he can. He just says every one liner he's got, and uh, and and. And you could hear the you could hear the students. It's him. He's back, <laughs> you know. And um, and he, and he came back, and sure enough, the, the from all over the campus they came. We had 100, 150 people within twenty minutes. Uh, as word spread that he was on campus. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, I, I love it. I remember you just saying him. Uh, him being cool as a cucumber and being like, I'll get him. And he, yeah, he just yeah. goes in there guns blazing. And uh, that that's a little bit funny. Here are some of the antics that people uh, don't like about Jeb, but kind of, you know, kind of one of the other instances where I'm just like, man, this guy really knows what he's doing. Um, again, most of these took place at Ohio State. I don't feel like I've seen him at too many other campuses other than on occasion over the last 10 years bumping into him in Southern California. But he was he was doing a great job, but he only had like 15 people listen to him on the Oval at Ohio State. And uh, he's just kind of answering their questions. Everything's really calm. And then uh, we're coming close to a, a, a changeover, and there are three guys with their fraternity letters on. And just out of the blue, Jed claps his hand. He just goes, perfect alert, perfect alert pervert alert. And, and, and he does that. And these guys just start zinging them. You know what I mean? Bam, bam. They're going after Jed. Next thing you know, there's a hundred, 150 people gathered and, and he's going back and forth with them. Almost like, almost like a stand up comedian. And he's getting the best of them. Like he's just, he's wittier that they're not saying anything new. He's just, he's just tearing into them and, and being funny and the crowd's laughing and it's, it's all marginally endearing. But the, but the part when, when I knew, um, he was he was smarter than everybody else out there is the students walk away and they give him like the old middle finger and kind of like, you know, put put the uh, F you Jed we're out of here. And he just goes, oh, thank you, boys. I didn't mean to use you. And and I was like, yes, you did. You you totally meant to use them. And sure enough, he, he had his crowd. And then the rest of the day he had he had his students gathered and and interacting and. Uh, that, that, those are the sort of things where you're just like, yeah, he, there is a reason to everything he's doing and it's, and he's not a madman. He's, he's a bit of a genius. And and I think it's kind of like the genius with like a lot of people, whether you like him or not, like you have your Rush Limbaugh's of the world, you have your Howard Stern's of the world and, and Jed's a bit of the original. And the, and the hard part is people see him, they don't understand the work, the genius, the intellect that goes into it. And they just think they can go out there and duplicate it. And it just comes off as shrill, harsh, angry, bitter, um, because because they're kind of not the original. I've I've noticed that that a lot of the people who try and learn or imitate from Jed, they pick up his bad side, not the good side. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean it's it's really easy. It, it takes it takes a degree of maturity to understand what you're doing and to really love people. You know when you're when you're, it's easy to go out and rebuke sin and call people sinners and use strong language and get people upset at you and they react and the big crowd gathers. I that's easy to do in one sense. It's hard then to down deep to pivot to really. I love these people and I'm just trying to get them here and I'm looking for a way to turn it into a more constructive conversation where we really get down into their heart issues. Mm-hmm. 
And you need a, and I do think you need a, like, like if, if you spent time with Jed, like his temperament was really, really calm. He was, he, there was no, there was nothing anxious about the man in the times I, I spent a little bit of time with him. And, and I do think that amidst, um, you know, pervert alert, pervert alert, and all that sort of stuff and getting the crowd and, and getting it. He was, he was always had self-control. He was never governed by his emotions. Um, whereas, you know, I think of myself over the last 12 years, uh, by the grace of God, I've, I've, I've had to go, go back to a handful of people like, Hey, sorry for the way I spoke to you back there. That was, that was inappropriate. I was, I allowed my, my emotions to govern me. And I, w- I would say in the, in the times I've ever seen Jed preach, I've never seen him overcome by his emotions or allow the crowd to dictate his emotions, even if he's even if he knew how to lean into them and draw them out emotionally, he was all and so even when he needed to to pivot, uh, he was able to do that. And again, there was a there was a guy, I think you'd remember this guy, who's kind of a maybe crazy, maybe even threatened Jed at Ohio State. He would always come, maybe sing like opera, um, just just really, really uh, disruptive uh, in the early 2000s, and I just remember him coming out, and and as soon as he started coming out all hot and heavy, Jed just took a seat, and he just kind of knew, like, all right, I'm gonna let this guy kind of come in hot and heavy. I'll take a seat, be calm, and and he actually that guy enabled some people to come over to Jed's side and actually really listen to Jed and 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 take heed to what Jed was saying because his disposition was so peaceful amidst a guy who's bringing chaos. Yeah, yeah, you know, people. You you never Jed was ready for every argument. He was ready for everything someone would say, and either whether it was the spirit gave it to him or he was just quick witted or whether he was prepared, whatever it is, no one ever out argued him. No one ever, no one ever got one over on him. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, it, it was delightful to listen to because he sometimes had such good responses. I remember one of the early days. There was a large crowd. And Jed was preaching, and this, you know, and the crowd was somewhat, there was some hostility out there. And this one guy came up to him, uh, he was a fairly good-sized fella, and he was cocky and arrogant. And he walks out in the middle, and he gets right in front of Jed, and he says, uh, Brother Jed, now the Bible says that if, uh, if you're supposed to, if, if you slap someone on the cheek, you're supposed to turn the other cheek to him. Is that what the Bible says? And Jed said, yes. And the guy says, so suppose I slap you right now on the right cheek. Are you going to turn the left cheek to me? And he was just so cocky and arrogant, like, you know, I've, I've got this one on you. And the crowd was listening. And Brother Jed's response was, the Bible does say that if you were to slap me on the right cheek, I should turn my left cheek to you as well. But on the other and and if you did that, I would hope that I would respond in a Christian manner. But I suppose the truth is, you have no idea what I would do. <laughs> and the guy just melted. He, he was not expecting the big guy. He just literally just kind of withered and slithered away. He, he was, uh, you know, Jed diffused that. He could, you know, it could have, it could have gone where the guy literally slapped him. Mm-hmm. But by, Responding that way, he did it. You know, he. Uh, I, I thought that was masterful. How how he he owned this guy, shall we say, and this guy who 
so wanted to humiliate Jed, it turned right against him. Mm-hmm. What are uh, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna share one of my one of my favorite Jed stories. It was uh, I text some buddies yesterday, and they remember Jed from undergrad, but they largely know Jed through me uh, texting him kind of funny stories or interactions that I had with him. And one of my favorite Jed stories was I was in seminary, so it had to be like 2002, 2003, and I went up to Wisconsin to visit some friends, and I preached at like Milwaukee and uh, maybe Stevens Point. I went over to the University of uh, Wisconsin at Madison one day, and Jed was there with a, a couple other people, and uh, you know, kind of the ridiculous Jed, University of Wisconsin. Um, so he he was preaching there, and. He had a he had a pretty good group and um I just said hi to him I was off on the side and he um uh, when he kind of finished up the day I, I there was a guy who was kind of peppering him and it was kind of driving me nuts and I finally you know I hop in I start preaching for whatever reason um then I bow out after 5 minutes to let Jed kind of finish his day but anyway Jed and Cindy came up to me afterwards and um asked me if I wanted to join them for dinner so I I did join them for dinner but uh while Jed was preaching that day it was kind of funny he tells this uh, story about a guy named Stephen who was in his uh, fraternity house and uh, when Jed got to, to college, Jed uh, or Stephen was uh, was the Christian in my fraternity, and he would never drink. And I just remember thinking, I got to get Stephen drinking, and I would just push Stephen to drink and push Stephen to drink. And then he's like, finally, I I saw Stephen one day. He had a bottle in his hand, and then next day he had another bottle in his hand, and then and he's like, and he tells this whole story that eventually I never saw Stephen without a bottle in his hand. And not long ago, I get my fraternity magazine, and I saw that Stephen had perished. I couldn't help but to wonder. That I pushed Stephen into hell because he the story was that maybe he became a drunkard by the end of college type of thing. So he tells his whole story, and then we're at uh, dinner, and Cindy, while she's cooking dinner, goes, uh, "Jed, I never heard that story about Stephen. Is all of that true?" And 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 Jed, Jed leaning back in his chair with his hands on his chest, goes, "Oh, I may have embellished a little bit." <laughs> and, and you're like, like, like in the sense there's no Stephen embellished. Um, he wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't dead. Like, what was the embellishment in the story? And 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 that's even even one of the things he would do was he would emphasize like, well, Jesus told stories, so I tell stories. You know what I mean? And and you know, some people don't be like, oh, that's a lie. You're like, no, he's he's telling stories. You know what I mean? Like that, that's part of part of what he's doing. And obviously he's somewhat presenting it as true. So, you know, you can uh, quibble on that point, but he, he's like, yeah, how do I draw people in? And just his ability to structure this story, apparently off the cuff that, uh, that Cindy ended up going to ask it. I never heard that about Steven is all of that true. And it was a, it was a good five or 10 minute story that he told on campus and all the students listened. And so th- those are, those are some of the things like uh, I really enjoy about Jed was just the kind of that, that, uh, the, yeah, the crafting of a story and, um, you know, the, the, the Arab, the old rugged cross, the Doobie brothers, uh, so many things. So, so what are some of your, uh, if you, if you have some, some of your favorite stories of Jed and the, the times you're with him? Well, he, his, his stories, his testimony, it was masterful. It was so well-crafted and, and I would hear it over and again, and I have so much of it that I can remember, but it was, but you know, you'd have to hear it from him and it was, it was so interesting. But one story I remember once, and this was at Ohio State, and someone said, you know, you're just oh, you just talk about the judgment of God. Why don't you talk about the love of God? And he told a story about the life of Jesus. And he went through, he probably took half an hour and just went through the life of Jesus Christ, from birth to his miracles, helping people, going about teaching, doing good, leading to the crucifixion. And and they killed him. And his point being that that even the the most loving person who's ever come, people 
killed him because they don't because the truth is people don't want to hear about the judgment of god they didn't want the love of god either if they're not right with god they don't want anything about god if they really understand it that had a powerful effect after he did that he called the crowd together who wanted to join and, and it's kind of an altar call or people were believing we came together we sang amazing grace stood in a circle on the campus sang amazing grace there probably were 50 60 people came forward that day and, hmm. and including you know like some of them I'm sure were already believers and that was a powerful moment in my life. And I took, for, I, I borrowed many things from Jed through the years. Uh, and I borrowed that where, where many, many, many days I've ended my time on campus by calling people to make a commitment or calling believers to demonstrate and take a stand for Christ. We'll call them forward. I say a prayer for them. We sing Amazing Grace together. And um, I learned that from him. And it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing to do. Um, the so, well, good stories. You know, some of them are funny. Some of the things we laugh at, but that was powerful. Um, Jed would preach. He saw the need to preach against sin, and sometimes, you know, I think he maybe spent too long doing it. But he was very, very strong on the need that people aren't going to repent and turn to God unless they're aware of their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And the gospel won't really offer a hope unless a person realizes they're sinful. And the person won't go to the good physician unless they realize they're sick. And so to understand how that was so much a part of his message, he talked a lot about sex. And 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 he, you know, one thing Jed would do, he'd see, he'd believe from Charles Finney, that part of our goal as preachers is to make sin look utterly foolish. And he had many, many stories where where he would tell, you know, the, the drunk guy, drunk fraternity boy walking down the street, you know, and kind of stumbling along. And Jed says, what are you doing? He says, I'm having a great time. You're having a great time? Well, then what's that all over your shirt? And the guy looks down and says, I guess it's vomit. Jed says, you're not having a great, you're having such a terrible time, it's made you sick. And, uh, you know, he would often want to make sin look foolish mm-hmm. the girl who you know the the girl the classic one of jed's classics from way back in the 70s he said i'll never forget the young girl who came up to me and said well what's wrong with me having sex with my boyfriend he loves me do you know jed's response to that <laughs> no oh you silly woman you've fallen for the oldest line in the book <laughs> um, you know there's not a man in the world who doesn't know that line mm-hmm. and uh you know, and so again, to make, to make, and although she might feel kind of foolish, there's probably a lot of other people sitting around. Hmm. Yeah. I heard that. Have I fallen for that line? And he realized that lots of times a person put themselves forward against him. He would go, go to it with them, but he's really preaching to those who are watching and listening. Uh, those are the ones that he's hoping to win. Yeah, and I would. Yeah, it's interesting you, you kind of mentioned that because I remember you and I were at the University of Kansas. I don't remember what year it was. I must have run over from St. Louis, so it had to be the early two thousands, and uh, preaching there on the beach one time. And I remember you kind of uh, you know saying something similar. Actually, we preached there two days in a row. The first day, um, I remember it being a pretty good day, but the second day, you're kind of like, man, this is a really sensual campus here. And like, I think we kind of prayed about it and what to preach on. And you spent a little more time that day talking about sex, and I mean. Uh, there were just, I mean, 
everybody was coming out of the woodwork. And I wish I could remember more details of some of the things you were saying, but it was it was such a good demonstration. Like like you were just pointing out there, the point is that you would you're interacting with with say Sally, who's there before you, but you're preaching to everyone else there, and you had everybody else roped in by your conversation with Sally because so many other people were experiencing the dialogue that you were having with her. And I just remember thinking like, man, this is, this is what needs to be done because there's such a, there's such a, 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 a firmness to it and yet such a grace as well. And there were times where I would see Jed and I wish I could remember what campus it was. And, and I remember him kind of shutting the whole campus. Like everybody's pretty wild and, you know, they're promoting sexual morality. And some girl uh, threw out a comment about, uh, you know, basically being promiscuous. And what do you have to say to me? And he's like, sadly, you're ruined. And I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. And it was just like, and it was like said in a way, it sounds so like when I repeat it here, it sounds so harsh, but I would just say it was something that was said that like, it was almost like, it was almost like everybody got it uh, at that moment. And uh, uh, it, it was just one of these things where, yeah, everybody was gripped in. And then from there, he starts going through the gospel, like it, you're ruined. But then he starts going through the gospel and preaching. Uh, he, one of the things I also think he did really well, he was always bringing it back to the resurrection. He was always talking about the resurrection. And the times I can think of uh, listening to him preach, if it wasn't moral issues, um, it, was, it was oftentimes the resurrection, even more so than, say, atonement theology or anything like that. It was the resurrection. So I just think he did a lot of that really well. Yeah. Yes. Um, you and I are seeing all these wonderful things about Jed. And, of course, when he passed away yesterday— um, it was very, very hard on me. I've actually lost two good friends, people I consider good friends, mentors, older men in the faith who I've always looked up to and respected. Uh, two that are right at the top of the list, to be honest. I've lost them both. They both graduated to heaven within four days of one another here, one last week and then Brother Jed just this yesterday. And it's, uh, it's, it's been sad to me. And, and one thing that I've thought of, Jed, is through the la- through all the years, for since since the seventies, I've known that somewhere on some campus in America, Brother Jed is out laboring, trying to bring conviction to the lost, repentance, salvation, praying for revival, praying for revival in our campuses, and and he's putting his heart into it, and he's working hard. And he'll do it if, it if it's raining. He'll usually try and give it, a, give it a shot anyway. If the weather's not good, he'll give it a shot. If he's tired, he's going to be there. If he's, he's, he, is a, he was a relentless trooper and warrior, and uh, I admired him. Again, I talked earlier about you and I, we've been out there. We know how, how difficult it is sometimes to get out there each day, especially if you're by yourself. And he was often by himself or just he and Cindy, and they didn't have any, a group sponsoring them or anything. And to be out there and to, to go right out, and he didn't stand around. So he just he would walk on campus and bam, he'd go for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes, I mean, that, that's hard. And day in and day out, he was there. He was at his post. He was faithful with his duty. And there were many times, uh, you know, with me, I have other responsibilities, too. I, I've had times I've pastored a church. I've had, I'm on a board of a, a church, uh, been on the board of the church association. And sometimes I'm away at a meeting through the day, or I've got I, responsibilities with the church, and I couldn't be out there. And I would often realize, Jed's out on the campus today. 
And I didn't say that like, oh, he's beating me or I've got to compete with him. I, I did that inspired. He's got his hand to the plow. He knows his calling. He's out there amongst the lost and nothing's going to stop him. And I would admire that, be inspired by it. And I'd say, Lord, I just want to do that. I want, I, I want my hand to be the plow. I want to be out there amongst the lost. I want to be contending for the faith. I want to be, I want to be taking a stand and urging and proclaiming and defending and, and uh, so forth for the faith. And, um, you know, he was faithful to do that right up till the very end. He, this past, he was diagnosed with uh, liver failure Mm -hmm. in December. And uh, throughout this last semester, as I understand it, um, the the effects of his his liver shutting down, uh, he's often quite tired, quite fatigued. He was often in pain. Um, and he, he was, had to cut back to three days a week and often he could go for hours. He might just preach for a while, but he was there at his post faithfully day after day after day, um, until the last day of the school year. Mm-hmm. And then here we are in, in early June, just a few weeks after the school year ended. And, um, he, he, you know, the other day he fell. He got his. He had a dizzy spell, probably related to these other illnesses, these other factors. Had a dizzy spell. He fell. He broke five ribs, punctured a lung. Had to go to the hospital. Was intensive care, and that really was, you know, a few days later that was the end. But what a way to go! Mm-hmm. What a way to end! What a way to to be faithful, to run your course to the very end. And and he did. And for and so I I just must say that. Through the last 40 years, I've admired day by day. He shows up. It, it, no matter what, he's there. He's answering. He's faithful. And he's doing his job for the Lord. And it inspired me. And to be honest, Keith, I I've sometimes it, it, I feel, um, uh, I, I don't know how to say it. My, my hope, my rock is the Lord. But there was, there was the first time in my adult life as a Christian that uh, that you know back when i ran into jed that first time i was about 18 years old hmm. the first time in my adult life i've thought when i go out on campus next time jed's not going to be somewhere he, he was a, he was our standard bearer whether you agreed with everything he did or not he was the standard bearer to whom we were all compared and now he's gone and to be honest it's uh, it's been difficult on me and um very sad and um i know we know he's in heaven and he's gone through the war, and that's what I'm saying. But for, to me, I just feel like that in some ways he was an anchor to me. And he was a, a, a rudder in this ministry, and we've lost a, a good man. Yeah, and if you uh, even – like I would not be – I would not be open-air preaching today if it was not for Jed Smock. If I did not uh, go to Bowling Green State University in 1993 and see seeing him out in front of the student union preaching – um, and then when I transferred down to Miami and he'd come down maybe once or twice a year and seeing him there, I, I, I wouldn't have had a category for it. And not only that, like even how do you go about it? Like he really is an original. I don't know where he got the idea of like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up in the middle of campus and 
uh, just start preaching. And, and, you know, he, he called it confrontational evangelism, uh, coming out of his confrontational hippie, um, politics that he was involved with prior to his conversion. And, uh, yeah, he, he really did. Like he, almost anybody who preaches on campus today, um, if they're out there consistently, and that's even one of the other big differences you just pointed out, he was out there for 45 years or however long it was, 50 years. And, you know, how many people in that time have you seen come and go who are like, oh, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, a year or two later, they're out. And Jed just faithfully over the years uh, plowed and and did it. And yeah, he, he there's just, yeah, there's just an amazing faithfulness over 50 years of uh, preaching on college campuses. And, and he was the original that kind of set the pace for almost everybody else that does it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do want to amen that. There, there can be something glorious and wonderful seeming about being able to go out to the campus and draw a crowd and, and make Jesus the talk of the campus. Years ago, that, that after seeing Jed, someone asked me, Tom, if you knew you could do anything for God and it wouldn't fail, what would you want to do? And I was a little embarrassed to say because I didn't really have any example of this other than Jed. And, and, uh, but I said, I'd like to be able to go from campus to campus, preach on campus for a few days, see Jesus become the issue, see the campus stirred up and light a fire there and then go to another campus and do the same thing and travel and do that. Well, that's what I ended up doing with my life. And it was largely from the influence and model of Jed that I, uh, I did that. And as I said, I wanted to do some things a little bit differently than him. But he did. It was he. He lit. He lit a fire, and lit a match, and helped take some, uh, maybe a calling that God had put in my life, even back in high school. And he gave it a way that it could. He, he gave me a way that I could see it happening. He blazed the path for me. Mm-hmm. And and in that sense, um, Jed has been there in my life at some key times. That time when he said, "I like the way I do it, but the way you don't," that spurred me on to say, "Okay." He's right. I've got to go do it. I can't just talk about it. I've got to go do it. And I'm and if I feel it should be done different, I've got to model it. I can't just hypothesize and be an armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback, whatever. I gotta go do it. I gotta get out on the playing field and make it happen. In in the nineteen nineties, I was pastoring a church in San Diego. And and um I had, you know, for a couple of years I wasn't really on the campus. And um you know, my, it's a fine job. I had a, I, I enjoyed it. I was able to be around my family more. I wasn't traveling much. It was an important time to be around my family, to be honest, as they were younger and so forth. Um, I liked the church. I liked the people in the church. But I had this sense. I would often pray at night. I'd walk around and outside in the, my neighborhood praying. And the thing that came to my mind was the verse where Jesus said, uh, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers of the harvest. And I would often be have this compelling conviction that I, the workers are few. I had volunteered to be a worker as a young man. I don't want to go back on it. And I would pray and I'd say, Lord, am I going back on it? I'm pastoring a church. And by the way, that's a fine thing to do. But I, I was just struggling. Is this really what God, is this God's call for me? My wife would tell me, Tom, you know, there's plenty of people who can pastor a church like you're doing. It's not very many who preach on the campus the way you are. And so I had some people kind of encouraging me to get back on the campus, that that's really where I belong. Well, to be honest, Keith, I was afraid. 
I was afraid to get back on the campus. I, I, I had a secure job. I was afraid, what if I went, I'd only been off campus for two, three years maybe, but I was thought, what if I go back and it doesn't work? What if this, I you keep reading all this stuff about the different generations and how they're different, how they've changed. And uh, what, what if what I do doesn't work? What if I can't draw a crowd? What if I won't see any fruit? What if all, and all these negative thoughts in my mind. And, and what happened was, this was 1994, there was an earthquake out there in Northridge, California. Oh, yeah. yep. and, uh, and our church in San Diego gathered supplies. We were going to take them up the next day to deliver to people in need. And lo and behold, a friend of mine in ministry up at UCLA asked if I could come up and preach on campus. And that's right near Northridge. And I, I couldn't say no, I was going to be driving up there. <laughs> And so I got out there, and we had a mediocre to slow day, but the magic was still there. The anointing was still there. And students did stop still, and I realized it can happen. It so happens, Jed was in Southern California that week. And somehow I found out, someone told me this guy had been there, and somehow I found out the next day or two, I arranged to see him up UC Irvine. We talked afterwards. And I remember asking him, what is this with these millennials? Everybody's saying the millennials are different and what we, the old methods don't work anymore. And he said, I, I'll never forget his answer. He said, people are people. They still have the same needs. These people aren't really that different. He said, there might be a few more lesbians than there used to be. But besides that, there's no real difference. <laughs> and, uh, and that encouraged me that to, he encouraged me to get, that I could do it. And I began to make plans to get back on the campus. And that was nine, and I've been back on the campus ever since. And so I look at how God brought Brother Jed into my life at key points to say the things that I needed to hear to make bold decisions and 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 take risks for the Lord. You know, I mean, when I left my job as a pastor, I had a family with five kids and I, I was gonna have to give up a salary and figure out how to finance this, how to go raise support. That was a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was, again, fearful. What if it doesn't work? What if the students aren't listening? What if what the way I've always done in the past is a total bomb and I've quit my other job? Now what would I do? All those things. And I share that with Brother Jed. And basically, he didn't tell me what to do. He just assured me things aren't all that different. People are people. Are people. And, uh, and that really helped me. Yeah, that, that, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for how different times in my life God brought him into my life to help me make difficult decisions that required courage and boldness. And I deeply appreciate that about him. Yeah, that that's great. Not to yeah, I I, I don't want to uh, steal the uh, weight weight of that. But uh, if you remember correctly, the first time I came to your house, you moved from San Diego to Columbus, Ohio. When I got to your house, I go, now I really want to be a street preacher. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that was the day that it convinced me when uh, getting to your home. But no, I, I do remember you uh, sharing that going up to. Um, uh, UCLA and getting back out there. And for some reason, you know, it, it may be a similar thing uh, for me. I was I was working finance in, in New York. I would sit out back. I was on the um, Hudson River. And I remember like, and for me, what's, what's uh, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of 
this might sound weird, but almost not motivated, but like, I really enjoy the Lord, like the, the early sunrise, the way the light hits the land. And then also towards the end of the day on campus, the way this, uh, as the sun starts to set, just the shadows, the light on the buildings, all that sort of stuff. And I'd be behind, I was working at a place called the world financial center. Um, and I, and I sit behind there and when the sun was coming down around four o'clock in the fall and, uh, it was just like, man, what, when I wake up at 70, what do, do I want to make a financial company better? Or do I want to have preached the gospel on a college campus? And it was kind of that element of, um, yeah, I want to, I want to preach the gospel. And that was a, a time you and I would spend a bit of time talking cause we were friends and kind of through that. And you would be encouraged me to, uh, get out there as well as just the Lord will be faithful uh, to meet your needs. And so I was able to pack up, leave that. And it's been 12 years now and the Lord's been completely faithful to me over 12 years. And, and it is one of those things that like, yeah, you see for me, I see you, I see Jed. I see some other people do it, and and the Lord's completely faithful in in meeting our needs and meeting what needs to be done. And I, I'm a single guy; you're a married man with five children, and the Lord provided for you. Um, he's able to do that for me. How much more is he able to do that for me? So that that, that is a good word of it, just in, encouraging us uh, of the Lord's faithfulness. Yeah, Amen, Amen. Is there anything else? I, uh, so I'd like I'd like to do two, well. One, I, I guess first of all, I wouldn't mind if you if you, like I'll let you say whatever else you want to say. If you have anything you want to contribute towards Jed, and then from there, I wouldn't mind maybe in a week or two circling back up with you and and ter- talking a little bit more about you directly and kind of your time on campus over forty years. From you know, th- there's obviously. Uh, differences between preaching at Ohio State in 1978 and preaching at Ohio, Ohio State in 2018. And so um, if, if you wouldn't mind, maybe we could uh, discuss some of that some more in, in a couple weeks. I'd be glad to. And also realize this is no longer 2018, it's 2022. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but uh, uh, well, the last thing, one thing that comes to my mind is uh, Jed's wife, Cindy. One thing I, they have been co-workers. Jed has, you know, he, he, I I always would try and be home. I tried to never be home more than like be away more than two weeks at a time, max. And even that was stretching for me. But there'd be times Jed would go out on the West Coast and be gone for six weeks or longer. Uh, Cindy would be home with the children. They were in ministry together and she would embrace that, accept that. But so much, they love to be together. They love to go together. They love to preach on campus together. And um, and there's a third person who was a part of the group called Sister Pat. Sister Pat passed away last fall, and now Brother Jed just the other day. And I think with Cindy, um, God is, you know, C- Cindy's kind of become the, the premier preacher of the group. And people on campus, uh, she's got quite a following of people. And there's a lot of people who really love her. But um, she's, you know, everything she's saying is, you know, her, her beloved husband is in heaven and she's glad for him. And he's happy. She's happy. And, 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 you know, all the right things. But she's got to be hurting mm-hmm. because they have, here's the thing with them. When, when you're out there and you get criticism, when you're on the front lines, you're going to have people criticize you. That's just a given in life. I don't care what it is. You can be a football coach. You can be a politician. You can be a business leader. You can be, uh, you know, anything. But if you're a preacher to all of them, anything that someone is out front making tough decisions, leading others, there'll be criticism. And Jed and Cindy got a lot of criticism, Mm -hmm. a lot of criticism. And I and I know they leaned on the Lord, but there were probably a lot of times they leaned on one another. 
and they often thought, well, maybe everybody in the world hates me, but at least Cindy loves me, or maybe everybody hates me, but at least Jed loves me. And I think they had a special closeness that that now is gone for Cindy. And so I know that she's, she, I'm sure will carry on, but I'm sure this is, uh, and she's a public figure. And I think she realizes that she needs to share her grieving with, uh, you know, the hundreds of people have posted condolences on Facebook for Jed in the last day or two. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. And she's got to share that with them. I'm sure it's difficult um, because she's lost the love of her life. And, and now, like I said, I feel like Jed's been out there every day of my adult life. And what am I going to do without knowing that he's out there? And, and Cindy must have that feeling a hundred times as much. Yeah. So, they were, they, you know, they, they really were, you know, uh, it, like obviously all marriages, but like the embodiment of one flesh, they, uh, you know, they're on the road together, they're preaching together, they're tag teaming. Um, yeah, it, it really was just a, a day in day out. And I am kind of, yeah, I am kind of curious about the, the future of Cindy, um, because they, they were, it was brother Jed and sister Cindy. They were, they really were a duo and it's, it's hard to think of her, um, going in alone as, you know, just her, her personal life as well as her public life is, is, uh, you know, they're intertwined so intimately. In this last, you know, the, the last year she's gone quite viral on TikTok and has quite a following. And it seems to me in the last few months that, uh, God worked out a transition in which Cindy became the one who people came to hear and came to see. And, and after she was done, Jed would take some questions and, and, uh, and he had a far less of a role and Cindy Farm. So I, I think God worked out a transition. So she will be able to go strong. And this current group of students, I think, are fans of Sister Cindy and will want to hear her. But, but I, I'm just thinking she's got to be hurting. Mm-hmm. And she's got to be, um, you know, one hand rejoicing. She saw him suffering quite a bit here this past few months. And I'm sure is happy for that he's in heaven. But on the other hand, um, I'm sure it's quite hard because, like I said, they they battled together. They fought many battles. You talk about comrades in battle. They were more than husband and wife. They were comrades in spiritual battle. In a way, I've seen very, very few people ever. And um, and so we, we need to remember her and encourage and pray for her. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word. Anything else you would like to uh, say before we wrap up? And you can also let everybody know how they can get in touch with you if if they uh, would like to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and all of that. So I, you can um, um, go. My website is tomthepreacher.com, and uh, I do a daily YouTube devotional, and I'm trying to do more stuff online. Um, um, I started doing during the, the pandemic and some of the lockdowns there. So I do a daily YouTube, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time each morning. But you can listen anytime throughout the day on YouTube or you can listen to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, or Google platforms. Just search for Tom the Preacher in those places. And I encourage you to come, come to it. I, I believe we need the word. We need it every day. And the truth is a lot of people aren't getting into the word every day. And a lot of people who even are aren't having very meaningful times in the word. And so this is something I've long wanted to offer the body of Christ is a daily teaching the word because I had that as a young man and it had such an impact to get the word taught to me every single day. And it got built into my life and it formed me. And I, I think we all need it. And so it's something I 
am, am thrilled to have the opportunity with modern technology to offer that to people as well. So Tom the Preacher on YouTube or TomThePreacher.com uh, website. Excellent. I uh, appreciate your time. And we will, yeah, we'll run it back in a couple of weeks where we're going to get a little bit more of your story, I think, because, uh, you know, as Jed is to you, you are to me, we have not spent as much time over the last, uh, uh I feel like 10 years, uh, uh, necessarily you, you, you we can d- discuss this as you've, you've morphed a little bit. Cause I, you know, all right, I'll, I'll make this a little longer. You, uh, one of the things, uh, you mentioned, um, even go up to UCLA and preaching. One of the difficulties with campus preaching is it's not the most easily transferable skill set, if that makes sense. And um, that's one of the things where, like, uh, when I first hung out with you and uh, preached with you, I remember thinking, like, okay, like we have in, in some regards similar personalities as far as thinking and being on our feet and interact with people. Um, but yeah, so just as Jed was to you, I, I do want to let you know that, that that's what you are to me. You, you kind of set the tempo. Uh, obviously, Jed introduced me to open air preaching, but it really was you and I at George Washington University in September, October of 2000. Where I was like, "This is what I want to do. Uh, this is this is how I want to do it." I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point, and maybe maybe someone someone of your supporters see, has seen me on campus and like that's what Tom Short is like. I don't want that. So so any of my bad attributes, I don't want uh, to impute to you, but. You really did. You set the tempo of like, okay, here's what I want to do on campus, and this can be done in a very gracious, firm, clear manner. And so I, I want to let you know, I, I appreciate your work that your labor has rubbed off on me, even if we haven't spent as much time together the last decade. But over the last two decades, um, you have definitely shaped who I am, even if it's a little bit indirectly. So I do appreciate that. And I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks where we can uh, discuss a bit more um, your life and your ministry and kind of go from there. Let's do it. I look forward to that. Thank you for the kind words you have there. Yeah, I you, appreciate it. You, you bet. And Lord willing, maybe we can uh, maybe preach together this fall sometime. Let's do it. All right. Lord yep. bless you. Keep you. And we'll, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll run it again. Thank you. God bless you, Keith. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right. So that's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith Daryl. Keith at campuspreacher.com. That should be up and running. Keith at campuspreacher.com. Campus Evangel on the Twitter. Campus Preacher on Instagram. Keith Darrell on Facebook. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week.